Just a few years ago, I was watching a YouTube video that caught my attention. Um, it was about a person who had problems with big mounds of fire ants. Has anyone ever seen fire ants or been stung by one? Okay. Um, I have to apologize in advance for this illustration because some fire ants were harmed in the making of this illustration. But, but you know, being from South Texas and parts of Louisiana, you know, like, there's plenty of them, all right? So I'm not an advocate for hurting insects or anything, but, but this one guy came up with a creative way to get rid of his fire ant problem. He was an artist who worked in metals, and he heated a bunch of aluminum to 1,221 degrees, which would make it melt. Okay, I, I looked it up, and, and, and there are some people who need those numbers, so you can fact check me, but apparently it's 1,221 degrees gets it melted. And he took it out to that fire ant mound, and it was a really big one, and he went into it, and he kind of made a circle of it with some gloves so he didn't get stung, and then he began to fill it up with this molten aluminum. It ended up being 17 pounds worth that went down in there. It spread a couple of feet across and a, and a few feet down. He let it set up overnight, and then he came, and he dug it up and got it out of the ground with a shovel. There, when it's laying on the ground in the video, it's kind of mesmerizing looking. It looks like this big ball of muddy mess. And there it all is, there this kind of mess. And it's not until he took a high-pressure hose and began kind of spraying it off that suddenly the spaces and the intricate work that the God had worked through the ants became apparent. And there he went back through and shaped and fashioned with it to smooth it all out. And suddenly it became a, a piece of art there was something beautiful to behold. All those negative spaces had become filled. And when filled, there was something beautiful that he calls Ant Hill art, if you can believe that. I love the artistic process. And I went searching for different stories of, of art to try to find, like, how do people do things, thinking of athletes and all of their training and the work that goes into muscle memory and something beautiful about baseball or soccer or football. You know, pick, your, pick your favorite sport. Thinking through what they do and how they get so perfect in it. I looked at writers and authors and artists, people who work in metals and canvas and crafting. Um, and it, one of the things they almost all have in common is that none of them are clear about what the artistic process is. Oh yes, there are a few people who have sold books on it and say it's five steps, seven steps, nine steps, 12 steps. Take your pick. But almost none of them actually agree. What I know is that myself, I'm drawn to the artistic processes that say somehow there's a point where you have to purge or purgate or let go of or relieve yourself of a burden. 
and let go of something. That, 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 that art is not really formed until it's been refined. The paper isn't ready until there is a draft that's been edited. I had a favorite uh, history teacher in high school, uh, Nancy Graves. Uh, she was an amazing teacher who taught me a lot. And it was about seventh grade, if I'm remembering right. It might have been eighth grade, but I think it was seventh grade. And she was trying to teach us that history alone, the facts weren't enough. And so we had to write these papers and we listed dates and we put everything down. And on there she wrote, and so. It was big across the top of my paper. And on the rest of it, it looked like the paper had bled. And so, and so, and so. Why is that important? The book of Hebrews is like that. It kind of purgates some stuff. It, it makes us like in our artistic process realize that we have to get rid of some things if we're going to become something. We have to let go of some ways of thinking and being if we're going to understand the and so and why is what Jesus did and who Jesus the Christ is, is important. In fact, I think it's useful because what happens in life is you and I at times, I mean, it may just be me, but sometimes it feels like my life itself is a big muddy mess like that anthill that has been dug up and dumped on the ground. And without someone to fill in those negative spaces, with something pure and undefiled that will stand the test of time? All I can do is see what it's not. All I can know is what's wrong. All I can experience is the hurt and pain that is going on in people around me. And yet it's in that place that if we're not careful, we miss the miracle that Hebrews teaches us about. That maybe it's the negative space itself that can be filled with the love of God. Maybe it's that inside out nature to the world where God's love might bring abundantly more than what we ever could have imagined to transform the world we know into something more beautiful than a piece of anthill art, but something that is unperishable and undefiled, that is indeed holy and built in the love of God. But it's hard to see it. How many of you have ever done this at table with family? Have you ever heard someone tell you a story about a painful experience and they're sharing out of that deep and abiding place in their heart and the first thing you do is say, oh, that's nothing. Now, I worked on that all week. Y'all are, thought some of y'all would own that. I've heard you do it, all right? You hear a story, you hear a situation, and oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you what's really going on. Because friends, I, I hear that all the time in our culture. 
amidst the noise of our media and uh, which lives matter and all of this stuff, I hear people diminishing the pain of others saying, no, my pain in being left out is the only thing that matters. And, and I don't think it's hate-filled. I, I don't think it's a mean thing. I think it's a forgetfulness of who God is and what God's love is doing to transform the negative space in our lives into a place that blesses and heals and lifts up others. It is a lack at its core of humility to realize that every one of you is a sacred and precious child of God. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what family you were born into. It doesn't matter your gender identity. It does not matter on any account other that you are a blessed, precious child of God. And when you are loved by God, we as the people of God should love you back, should care about you, and should let nothing stand in the way or add to the big pile of mess. In fact, we should remember that we have been poured into, by God, something beyond what can be imagined. Uh, take your text here real quick and listen to what it says. All right? It talks about this phrase, right? So at this time, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he is promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This phrase, yet once more, like, like what, did you wonder, like, what, what is that talking about? Like, where is that coming from in Scripture? So he's just gotten done telling us the story of Cain and Abel. Does anybody know the story of Cain and Abel? Y'all have gone to church before, right? Y'all still with me, right? There you go, Cain and Abel. Y'all know Cain and Abel, right? There were these two brothers. They were sons of who? Adam and Eve, right? I mean, these are like the first brothers, right? They put the dis in dysfunctional family, okay? All right, one offers an offering it says at the, at, the, at the time when the harvest was ready. So he waits and doesn't offer the first fruits. He offers the leftovers. There's another brother, Abel, who offers the first fruit of what he has. Okay? And we're told it's kind of like this. Have, have you ever, uh, you know, had, uh, you know, any of y'all had a brother, brother or sister? Right? Anybody? Don't look at him or point at him or anything, but I'm just saying... If, if, if you had one, uh, sometimes it was really hard when mom and dad would say, good job, because you would want to scream out, look what I did though, like, right, why would you tell her good job or him good job? Don't you know I did something? Uh, yes, we know you did something, it's okay, right? This kind of thing happens here, okay? So Cain gets so enraged with Abel, and I know you're thinking, it can't happen. Just turn on the TV and watch some of these brothers and sister dynamics and what, what happens, right? 
And he says, let's go out, brother, into a field and go look at it. Okay, if your brother asks you to go into a field, just say no. Or make sure you're packing, okay? And there he heads out into this field. And we're told that Cain slays Abel out of envy and jealousy and anger. The words that shook the earth. Where is your brother? Where is your brother? What have you done? The words that shook the earth. What have you done? Where is your brother? Now, when I heard that growing up, you know, I have to confess, the first time I heard the Cain and Abel story was actually in school. While I heard how people would somehow take the mark placed on, um, on uh, I, was, uh, I believe, on Cain, because uh, he's the one who lived, to, to somehow mean something about race and all that. And it's like they skip the Noah story that we all get wiped out, and then there's just Noah and his family. So we all look a lot like Noah, no matter what tribe or, you know, people always say they're looking for Adam, and I'm like, no, you're looking for Noah, <laughs> right? I mean, he's the one who we go back to, right? Um, so, you know, it was always kind of a peculiar lie in there, but at its heart, the tribalism that we experience as people in this world goes back to the truth of that story. You see, there becomes a point where our own hurt causes us to miss the humanity of others. And whenever we live in that negative space, only the white-hot love of God and the purity of Christ can change our existence. Our God is indeed a consuming fire. He will not allow any negative space in our heart or soul to exist. He will transform it into a representation of the love of God to remind us that all people are our brother and sister. God has never stopped loving all people. At times, we as the people of God have let our Lord down. And the only thing that is too far or too difficult for God to transform was when the people of God will not stand up for those other people around us who are in pain. When the people of God lose their compassion, forget their hope, become unreminded that one day indeed hope and faith will melt away. But the love of God, that beautiful artistic piece of aluminum that never fades, will live forever. What have you done? Who have you forgotten? Who do you think, Lord, let me love anybody, just not them? My friends, the story of the gospel, the promise of this little book, Hebrews, 
the blessing of being a follower of Jesus is that we take God's love to all. It is our unique blessing in this day and time to love everyone our Lord loves. May we follow Jesus. Amen.